At American University, we don't just hope for change, we create it. We don't just dream of a better world, we make it a reality. With a graduate degree from AU, you'll access expert faculty and connections throughout DC to develop skills and experience to turn your passion into purpose. And that purpose can make all the difference in your career. Discover the difference a degree makes at American.edu slash gradschool. Howdy, I'm Max Kaiser. This is the Kaiser Report. You know, the Huawei phone in China is the Apollo 11 of this decade. It's uh, defining the technological landscape for a whole country. It's going to happen for a long time. Stacy. Sure, this high-tech advantage that China has should have been a Sputnik moment, i.e. we should have basically introduced some sort of industrial policy and said, hey, Americans, we need to realize that China is eating our lunch. On top of this, we also should realize that our, our exorbitant privilege of having the U.S. dollar as world's reserve currency has indeed been a massive privilege, and we should have done everything to sustain that. So acting like a bully has not only saw that, you know, even France and Germany are coming up with an alternative to SWIFT to circumvent the U.S. dollar, to circumvent the New York Fed where all trades are settled. That exorbitant privilege is ending, but this privilege of having the, um, you know, being so crucially important to world trade is also ending because what we're seeing is this shocking headline and uh, this is Mish talk talking about a Wall Street Journal headline China no longer needs US parts in its phones American tech companies are getting the go-ahead to resume business with Chinese smartphone giant Huawei technologies but it may be too late it is now building smartphones without US chips Huawei's latest phone which it unveiled in September called the Mate 30 with a curved display and wide-angle cameras that competes with Apple's iPhone 11 contained no US parts according to an analysis by UBS and formal hot technology solutions a Japanese technology lab that took the device apart to inspect its insides now going back to Apollo 11 in the space program you had uh, an industrial policy in America uh, which was uh, over there in California at the Xerox labs where they developed a lot of the technologies that Apple used in the iPhone, like the cursor and all the microcircuitry and all these things that are the parts that go into an iPhone were developed by the U.S. government, thanks to the taxpayer, as part of an industrial policy called the space race. And uh, now uh, you've got an industrial policy in China uh, to beat U.S. technology to beat Apple with the Huawei next generation phone and it looks like they're succeeding and it has no parts in the phone and the U.S. is being uh, going to be sputnikatized and left on the roadside while China and the technology and 5G go into the future. All we have are tariffs instead of being able to compete. I think it was Bell Labs, wasn't it, that uh, did a Bell, lot of... Bell Labs, big part of it. Zero, uh, Xerox, uh, they had a big uh, you know, in, uh, research park in, 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 and Steve Jobs uh, op openly said that they stole a lot of stuff from there. They were the best at stealing the, uh, the technology from the U.S. government. This story actually hits here in North Carolina. Huawei 
Huawei long relied on suppliers like Corvo Incorporated, the North Carolina maker of chips that are used to connect smartphones with cell towers, and Skyworks Solutions, a Woburn, Massachusetts-based company that makes similar chips. It also used parts from Broadcom Incorporated, the San Jose-based maker of Bluetooth and Wi-Fi chips, and Sirius Logic Incorporated, an Austin-based company that makes chips for producing sound. They've replaced all those chips with their own or other alternatives now. Well, I'd love to see America get back in the race, but you'd need entrepreneurialism and you would need the uh, evisceration uh, and scorched earth tearing down of all the zombie banks that are there only because of cheap rates, right? And, and they suck up 30, 40% of the GDP of the economy of the United States of America. So there's no room for entrepreneurialism anymore. And not, not, not on a world-class basis. I mean, you have people coming up with, you know, great ways to, uh, you know, pocket fishermen or something like that, you know, novelty products that we, we excel out here in the U.S., but nothing serious. In fact, nothing serious is in this next headline. Again, Ray Dalio, and I believe he's been watching the Kaiser Report because I noticed that he keeps on coming out with statements or newsletters or uh, blog posts or conversations on stage that basically just steal our stuff. And I'm pretty sure he's doing that. So send us a signal next time, like blink three times really fast, or send an, a UFO going past you in the background, because UFOs are always good for ratings, really. Here's a headline, and Paul Tudor Jones is back. Ray Dalio and Paul Tudor Jones warn, we will kill each other if our broken economic system isn't fixed. On stage, I think it was in Connecticut, and uh, Ray Dalio said, because the world is looking for yield, companies can sell dreams rather than earnings. The number of companies that produce earnings is the lowest since the dot-com bubble in terms of their need because you can sell a dream. As a result of the accumulation of the money at the top and technology, we have a situation where naturally those who have a lot of money also have a lot of money in credit, but it doesn't trickle down. And as a result, we have a situation with a large wealth gap. That's definitely stolen from me. From just a few shows ago, I <laughs> explained how stories sell. And in the case of WeWork, the story was we're going to have a certain percentage of the global real estate market. And there's so much credit, free credit out there. You can get a few billionaires to market, to value that story or dream at $48 billion, but it's actually, there's no revenue, there's no earnings, it's, it's, uh, it's air. It's, it's a complete Ponzi scheme. Uh, so that's a problem we have identified. When you have unlimited trillions available to folks that are bored, like out in Connecticut, Ray Dalio and Paul Tudor Jones are bored billionaires. Paul Tudor Jones, without Paul Tudor Jones, there would be no Ray Dalio. Paul Tudor Jones invented the modern hedge fund, the modern uh, approach to trading as, as Ray Dalio now capitalizes on and makes a, a big uh, fund out of it. But uh, when you have bored billionaires in Connecticut who are lounging around on their yachts or at the Bell Haven Club sipping Mai Tais and they have nothing to do, they've like, I heard a story about a company that's going to take over global real estate. Or, you know, I heard a story about, uh, you know, some guy who's going to launch satellites out of his pocket using a cheese grater. You know, give him a billion dollars, whatever. We have too many billions because we get it for free. It, when the cost of money is zero, the value of money is zero. If the cost of money is negative, then the value of money is less than zero. But he's agreeing with you. Ray well, Dalio is agreeing but, but with you. He's not he's... suggesting they raise rates, though. He, he doesn't make that suggestion. He's unwilling to make the proper response to his comment. Simply quoting me on his newsletter is not enough. 
he also needs to offer a solution as well. He can't just, he, the guy, first of all, he's, he, he's overrated. His performance is horrible. And he just aggregates a lot of cash because he, he rips our stuff off. Well, he's kind of suggesting MMT, like a quantitative easing for the people. I think that's kind of his suggestion because he says there are three things that exist today that haven't existed since the 1930s. A wealth gap that's driving populism on the left and right, the absence of effective monetary policy, and an emerging world power, China, challenging an existing world power, the U.S. And I think that last bit is the most important. That's always the most important because no great power wants to give up their power. They always turn violent. And we saw that basically all these world wars that we've had in the past century are a result of that. He said that, in my opinion, we're in the end, in the late stages of our reserve currency system. It's a fiat monetary system. Not only do we have negative rates, but we're going to have much bigger deficits. And that's not half the story, because the larger story is the unfunded liabilities. Those are pension liabilities and debt liabilities. So he believes the dollar is at the end of the U.S. reserve currency status around the world. And, of course, he, again, stole that from us. Okay, so why is this significant, aside from the pilfering going on by Ray Dalio of our content? It's because he has a, what is it, $200 billion fund, something enormous. Um, his actions move markets, right? Uh, as uh, uh, George Soros would, would, would refer to this as a reflexive. Uh, reflexivity. Reflexivity. You know, your actions will create prices. You know, sure. you're not following prices. You're creating prices. And so that's why this is significant. If, if he believes this to be true and he were to suddenly go, uh, well, I, I understand he did make a very large bet, on a negative bet on the S&P futures. I think he put 1% or 2% of his portfolio. He in. denies it. He just says it's a hedge right. against the rest of his portfolio. Okay, fine enough. But on the margins, you know, as a hedge, you know, that's where a but hedge. But he is the biggest hedge fund right, in but the that, world. Well, you, he could be building a position, right? Yeah. So you're putting on, also, he can't tip his hand and say, I'm going uh, negative because then he's gonna, everyone's going to front run Ray Dalio, right? So he's going to say, well, it's a hedge. I got 2%. If, if that could be a position he's building. It could be 10 to 20% negative this time next year. If that's the case, then he, by the virtue of his actions, the S&P will be down. That's the problem with the 1%, that actually the zero, the top 0.1% taking away all, you know, running away with all the wealth is that when you have like JP Morgan, for example, is a massive bank, like it dwarfs all others. And one of the theories about the repo market is that it's them having all the liquidity that caused the crisis there. Here, uh, Ray Dalio is saying, yeah, there is a large bet relative to everybody else in the market that the S&P 500 will crash. But it's only a small, small, tiny percentage of my huge, largest hedge fund in the world. And we're just uh, hedging our position. But just his tiny percentage of his wealth could distort the entire market. Right, but if he wanted to go 10, 20% negative in the fund, he, he, he couldn't do it all at once, you know, with the size of the fund. He's got to he take steps. He's got to build his position over time. So there's going to be a lot of fake news coming out of Ray Dalio, and he loves to be transparent, so-called, with his huge reports and his book of theories and facts, which has, like, hundreds and hundreds of rules of Ray Dalio, which can be summed up into simply buy low, sell high. Uh, that's the entire rate of any money manager. That's ultimately all you need to know. Uh, and, and so uh, he could be building a huge position, uh, we, but he's not going to tell us because he has his customers, his clients that he has to serve, not us. His solution is kind of uh, quantitative easing for the people, which Steve Keen has 
presented on this show. And the other thing that Steve Keen has always said is a government deficit is on one side of the balance sheet and it's, it's the benefit of somebody else. It's an asset for somebody else. On the other side of the balance sheet, usually the population, the households in that economy. But again, when you have a, a oligarchy, kleptocracy, and a corrupt system here, it goes to the top 0.1%. And Paul Tudor Jones mentions that. He insists it's not markets, it, that it's not just the, the markets that are running away, but it's the 5% budget deficit in the U.S. that has caused U.S. stocks to outperform. He said, clearly, asset prices today, whether it's U.S. stocks or it's interest rates or it's the dollar, is all priced off of, in my opinion, a 5% budget deficit with this incredibly overly stimulative fiscal policy combined with overly stimulating monetary policy is creating this U.S. exceptionalism that one day, like if we normalized our deficit to levels more popular in Europe, where they have 3% of budget deficit, we'd see completely different valuations of the stock market, the dollar, etc. What he's pointing out, uh, something we've pointed out on the show, is that the banks are making junk loans. And for corporations to consolidate and to create these behemoths and private equity firms that are taking the world private and eliminating public markets, and for their sins, the central bank absolves them by printing more money. So remember back in medieval days, uh, if you committed the papacy, you could buy your way out of uh, going to uh, the netherworld by giving the pope some money and you could, with an indulgence, right? You paid the, your indulgence and you could buy your way into heaven. Uh, all the people who are committing financial sin in America can buy their way into having a private jet uh, on, the, on the tab of the U.S. taxpayer by making an indulgence with the Federal Reserve. But the dollar currency money is supposed to irrigate the entire economy. It's supposed to nourish the entire economy. And this is what you have when you have a corrupt system is not only does monetary policy that does the spigot go directly to the very wealthiest, but it, it appears also fiscal policy is, that's all we know, is to give money to the top 1% and hope it trickles down, but it never is trickling down. The simple solution for this, obviously, is to let some of that money trickle to wages. <laughs> but they won't. If you eliminate wages and you eliminate organized labor, then you will only have money flowing into the oligarch class. Well, Ray Dalio says, if we don't fix it, you're going to have a revolution and we're going to kill each other. Right. That's not a populist movement. Uh, if you want to say that's populism, then so is the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution of the Bill of Rights, Ray. What country are you living in, you frickin' poser? All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, much more coming your way. Welcome back to the Kaiser Report. I'm Max Kaiser. Time now to return to our conversation with Dave Collum. He is a professor of organic chemistry at Cornell University. Uh, we're talking to him about his year in review newsletter. He puts out a very extensive, very pithy, very insightful year end review that's full of nuggets of wisdom. Dave, welcome back. Hey, glad to be back. You use the phrase, quote, a rolling loan gathers no loss. Now that we are at near zero rates, how much lower do you think U.S. rates can go? And uh, Michael Hudson, who's, uh, I don't know if you know Michael Hudson, very respected economist, been on the show many times. He thinks or predicts a negative 25 percent on, on, on rates if the intention is to bail out creditors. What do you think, Dave Collum? Well, I pray he's wrong. Um, they, they're trying to set us up to, for, for, they're trying to soften the target for negative rates. I think um, they're trying to soften the target for our, for massive QE. Uh, I, 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 
no matter what, the Fed will never admit that they've just blown it, and so they'll just keep doing weird stuff. Uh, yeah, I, boy, I, I got to figure you Bitcoiners and us gold holders are going to do really well if they, if they drop the rates down there. You're a chemist uh, over there at Cornell University, a professor, and you must have some instinct for the laws of nature. And what do you think of time having zero value or less than val any value if we see negative interest rates. Time has less than zero value with the negative interest rates. Dave Collum, how does that, how do, you're a physicist or a chemist, how does that work? Seems stupid to me. Uh, I can't imagine why you would loan money, but the, the, the credit markets now are so messed up that, that they're no longer about you know, creditors and borrowers meeting to haggle over price. And so, uh, uh, you know, if, if the Fed's gonna provide all the capital anyone ever needs, they don't need my capital, so they don't, I don't need an interest rate, and I, I apparently don't need to retire either, but uh, that's a separate issue. So uh, I think they're screwing up the system. I think the, I think the central bankers are so too big for their britches. They, they, they believe the baloney they spew. Uh, I, I'm willing to say I, I think I'm smarter than them by recognizing that I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, but if time has a negative... Uh, interest, then we're going backwards in time. Is this so banks on Wall Street can go back in time and steal from customers from decades past because they've already looted every customer they possibly can? <laughs> Goldman Sachs and others have been caught looting from their own customers. Their own customers are have been bled dry. They want to go back in time and loot from the customers in the past. Is that what negative interest rates are all about, Dave Collins? You're a scientist. <laughs> you explain this to me. Um, yeah, maybe. Um, I had this epiphany that <laughs> that there are people who are paying interest on loans to to get to buy debt that they have to pay interest on the debt on the hope that they can sell it to some other idiot. I, I that's the system we're in. I, that has got to be happening with all those negative interest rate loans. There's there are people on margin to buy to buy debt that that's that's returning negative numbers. So it, it take the square root of negative one for all I care, right? It's just stupid. And I, I think it will destroy the banking system. I keep hearing the banking system's hurt by the low and in, low in negative interest rates. Then why are they doing it if, if the banking system's hurt? I do believe the transition back to normal is going to be a bloodbath, though. So I think they're afraid of that. Yeah, I think the reason they do it, even though it hurts them, is very simple. It's a, an example of suicide capitalism. And we've been seeing this develop over the past 20 years where the terrorists, uh, either they're uh, theocratic fundamentalists or they're Wall Street fundamentalists. They're both looking to blow themselves up for their ideology. One follows uh, a religious ideology and one follows a misreading of Adam Smith, but they're both terrorists. Now, Michael Bloomberg was worth $30 billion in 2008. Now he's worth $52 billion 10 years later. He's running for president to stop the people from taking all that free money the Fed gave to him through asset price inflation. Uh, do you blame the population for being angry about the unfair re redistribution of wealth to the top? In your, Dave, you've got a lot of students, I would imagine, you who are actively... Are the, are the students beginning to realize that their future was robbed from them by the likes of Michael Bloomberg? Again, I don't know if they know who did what, but uh, you can walk into the 7-Eleven and find a person who feels like they've been robbed. And so uh, I don't know if the students realize they've been robbed because they haven't yet found themselves unemployed. And, and, and so I, I don't know if they're aware. Uh, I, you know, you, you, you major in social justice. 
and you somehow think some employer is going to actually hire you, what employer would hire someone majoring in social justice? I, 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 that would be a toxic job applicant for me. Um, so, so I, I, you know, it's such a complicated story that, again, it keeps coming back to the central bankers are the only ones who really have the potential to, to, to be the adults in the room, and they've blown it. And so they've, they've handed over the, the control of the asylum to, to, to wild speculation. And to, to blame the speculators for spotting opportunity and speculating is I'm not inclined to do. Um, I also would question the use of the word redistribution. Um, I, I think it is the distribution of wealth that's flawed. So I, I think that we've mispriced uh, capital and labor. So, so capital is so cheap now that, that labor is expensive relatively. So I think that's hurting the system. And, and I think if, if the system was distributing wealth correctly, and, and it's not going to be fair, and you're going to have poor people and rich people, but correctly, you know, optimally, you wouldn't have to redistribute wealth. And you wouldn't have Elizabeth Warren, and you wouldn't have Bernie Sanders, you wouldn't have all these uh, Democratic hopefuls who are, who are proposing outlandishly ridiculous ideas. So you're, you're saying that you can't blame speculators uh, when the Fed uh, gives them a lot of free money, and yet the mandate of the Fed is to modulate speculation in the economy through using the fulcrum of interest rate policy. That's the purpose of the Fed. So you're saying right. that the Fed has reneged and repudiated the purpose it exists by not trying to create economic balance, but by feeding the speculators who are engaging in acts of uh, financial vandalism, to put it in the terms of The Economist magazine and others out there who are now openly calling banks financial vandals. So uh, as far as those students at Cornell University not being aware of the economic uh, machinations happening around them. I mean, what's the tuition at Cornell this year? And what was it 20 oh, years ago? Oh, I don't know. It must be 65, 70,000 total cost to go to Cornell per year. Oh, okay, so uh, uh, so 18-year-old kid, of course, every 18-year-old in America has $70,000 to spend one year at Cornell, and they don't notice it, right? So in other words, who's bailing... They're going into the debt market. They're graduating with onerous debt. Uh, and if they don't notice it, then they should immediately drop out of Cornell and get a freaking job because they're morons. Now, let's talk about even the, Fed, the Minneapolis Fed, Neil Kashkari, uh, he seems <laughs> to be looking at the Fed getting involved in this redistribution of wealth idea, perhaps through modern monetary theory. So MMT, this is uh, out of the academic circles, of which I presume you are familiar. What, what is it, uh, MMT? Can you explain it? And is it any good? Again, one of the relatively few topics I spent and relatively an inordinate amount of effort to understand this year was MMT. Uh, it, it's this funny mix of, of, of Marxism and, and, uh, and socialism, and, and I, I don't quite know what it is, but the basic premise is, is that the government can keep spending any money it wants, that it doesn't have to even tax you, and it has roots that go all the way back to, you know, ancient Rome, Rome and coin clipping and debasing of currencies and stuff like that. Um, but, but some of the things they say are just outlandish, and, and, and so if you, and I wrote a pretty big chunk on that that'll be published later, um, and, and when you listen to what they actually seem to say, 
you've got to figure that there's sort of there's 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 more nuts than than in squirrel feces there um, in the MMT world. I, I've tried to give them a break, but I can't. They they just I reached out to people for help, like that. No one knows what they're talking about. They're just crazy. It is seemingly. But they're coming. They're, they're coming though. That's the key. I wouldn't care if they were just some fringe group swilling Kool-Aid down in Jonestown, but they're not. They're on their way. Right. Okay. Good point. That it is gathering a lot of um, traction, and it seems to be essentially another version of a centrally planned model where you've got a group of people who are going to determine how much cash is printed. And if there's too much cash, as I understand it, they raise taxes. And if there's not enough cash, they lower taxes. But there's still a central body. Uh, so it is like Keynesian in that respect. It is like socialism in that respect. It's actually way worse, Max. It's, 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 they think that, that the central group also ought to decide which industries to emphasize and which in industries to de-emphasize. And, and that MMT should be used to combat climate change and things like that. So the MMT crowd really appears to me to be totally um, unmoored. And, 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 you know, Stephanie Kelp, for example, was Bernie's uh, financial advisor in 2016 election. So if by chance one of these extreme left uh, candidates gets elected, that's, you're going to see MMT in the, in the cabinet. To be clear, it, it would be the opposite of uh, the economic model that the U.S. has been trying to stick with for 240 years. Now, uh, many in the corporate media, Dave Colm, uh, are warning about populism rising around the world. Uh, mostly they blame uh, President Putin in Russia for controlling the populations of America, South America, Europe, and Asia using in, insidu in, insidious meme, meme warfare. Um, but is it more closely linked to central bank intervention around the world, Dave? There's something about Putin I find fascinating. Um, I, I, yeah, for several years now, I've written in support of Putin, not because I think he's a sweetheart, but because I don't think he's our worst enemy. I think the, the Fed, I keep coming back, this is just Fed smash-a-thon we're having here, but, but I think we are destroying ourselves from within. And I think if Putin's doing th things to us, uh, he is fostering that. He has figured out how to get us to self-inflict wounds. And, and so to me, Putin is not our biggest problem. Uh, um, our biggest problem is lack of free press. Our biggest problem is 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 uh, is is uh, lack of uh, 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 lack of free markets. Right, and the big problem right now is we're out of time. Dave Collin, thanks for being on the Kaiser Report. Hey, and that's going to do it for this edition of the Kaiser Report with me, Max Kaiser, and Stacy Herbert. I'd like to thank our guest, Dave Collin of Cornell University. If you'd like to get in touch, tweet us at Kaiser Report. Until next time, bye, y'all. At American University, we don't just hope for change, we create it. We don't just dream of a better world, we make it a reality. With a graduate degree from AU, you'll access expert faculty and connections throughout DC to develop skills and experience to turn your passion into purpose. And that purpose can make all the difference in your career. Discover the difference a degree makes at American.edu slash gradschool.